Well, as we've been singing God's word, it's now a privilege to turn to another portion of the scriptures as we turn in 1 Corinthians to chapter 4, continuing our study of 1 Corinthians. We come now to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 21. 14 through 21, so finishing out chapter 4. This is God's holy word as he inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Corinth. And so it is because it's inspired by God, the infallible, the inerrant word of God. So let's attend with reverence to its reading, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everyone in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, and the spirit of gentleness? Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time, and may he bless its reading and its proclamation and its hearing. When the last week, in fact in last week's reading, we saw that Paul spoke of some of the hardships that the apostles endured for the sake of the gospel. In verse 11 through 13 he wrote, to the present hour we both hunger and thirst, we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Well, in today's reading, he tells the Corinthians then, where we pick up there, he tells the Corinthian brethren that he's not writing these things to shame them, he doesn't want to correct them, but he doesn't, he's not saying this simply to shame them, but to warn them. It seems that as the congregation has factionalized over who their favorite teacher would be, some are going so far as to slander Paul. Indeed, we see in 2 Corinthians that there are some false teachers who have wheedled their way into the Corinthian church, They may not be here yet when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, or they might be, but certainly by the time he writes 2 Corinthians, we know they're there, and they're claiming that they have gifts superior to those of Paul and the other apostles. And so Paul facetiously calls them super-apostles. Perhaps he has such people in mind already here in 1 Corinthians, but certainly there are false teachers And people who are trying to elevate themselves by belittling Paul. In verse 18, we see that he gives us the impression that some were accusing Paul 
of being cowardly, saying he would not come and face them. In 2 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, we find that some claimed Paul was only bold in his letters and fearful in person. And they used as evidence for this the fact that he endeavored to be meek and gentle in their presence. So here, Paul warns them not to reject him. He is Christ's apostle, and therefore he must be heeded. He has been warning them against arrogance and against a focus on earthly things, on particularly their prestige in comparison to others. And he continues to warn them in this passage. Uh, His warning culminates, as he does so, in verse 20. For if we follow the grammar of the passage, we find our attention drawn really to that verse. Paul says, For I know, or rather, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. As we dig into the meaning of that statement, uh, we will find several lessons taught in this passage that they follow because of the truth of verse 20. Number one, we learn the instruction, be willing to be changed by the apostles' teaching. Number two, submit to church discipline if it's brought to bear on you. Number three, heed the instruction of faithful teachers in the church. Number four, imitate the apostles. And number five, imitate the godly in general. So as I said, the the grammar of this passage brings us to focus really on verse 20 to start with. Notice the verse begins with that word for. We've noted this many times. that, That word for, that conjunction, tells us that the things which came before verse 20 are true because verse 20 is true. Well, he's explaining these things are true. Why? Because of this. And he says here, For the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Now, we have to be careful not to take that out of context. In Sabbath school, in the adult class this morning, we were talking about the higher critics and those who think that the human reason is superior to the Word of God, and that they can decide what really belongs in the Bible and what doesn't, and they'll uh, throw out everything that doesn't already comport with their own opinions and, and keep the things that they like. But Paul is not saying, as some people who have that kind of attitude might think or might want him to be saying, he's not saying that the kingdom of God has nothing to do with Scripture or with faithful preaching or anything like that. The modern liberal would love that that to be what's being said and would, of course, then at the same time be using Scripture to support their reasoning for saying they don't need Scripture. Uh, Kind of circular reasoning there. But we find here in Romans uh, 10.17, for example, the same apostle teaches faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And remember, Paul has spoken in this very letter of the power of the gospel, a word, a message. In chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God. So the gospel is Christ and it is the power of God and the wisdom of God, Paul says. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The true word of God has power. It is power. 
But look at now at, at the immediate context where Paul says here that the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Verse 18, now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Again, it seems that some are saying, you know, Paul doesn't actually have the guts. He doesn't have the courage to come and face us and make his arguments in person. But he says in verse 19, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. So there's the context where he's comparing word and power. The apostle has every intention of returning to Corinth soon if the Lord allows it. And when he does come, he says, I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Everyone knows what these arrogant opponents of Paul have been saying. They also know what Paul has been saying. The difference is that Paul has power behind the word he preaches. When he comes back to Corinth, everyone will see that the words of these false teachers and these opponents of the apostles are empty because they have no power behind them. Remember Paul's words in chapter 2, verse 4, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He has demonstrated the power of God in his preaching already. His preaching was confirmed by the Holy Spirit through miracles and through the simple power of the message preached, which was bringing the dead to life, as it were. As Paul proclaimed Christ crucified, the spiritually dead were brought to life. Lives were transformed. That's a powerful word. That's a word with power behind it. That's a word that is power. The unbelieving believed. The hater of God now loved God. The natural man became spiritual. That's power. There is no such power behind the words of those who oppose Christ's apostles. They can make all kinds of what sound like well-reasoned arguments, but there's no power behind their words. Anyone can say anything they want to about God and about his servants. But whose words are backed up by the power of God? That's the question. So Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So we would say it's not in mere word in this context, but in power. Because that's true, because it's true that the kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power. Paul is warning the Corinthian brethren, as his beloved children in this passage, urging them to imitate him and to heed Timothy as Timothy has come to them. Timothy likely was the one who brought this letter to the church at Corinth. From this passage then, we see several things are true because of the underlying truth that the kingdom of God is not in mere word, but in power. The first thing we see is the application. These are several applications that are true, several commandments from God that are true because The kingdom of God is not in mere word, but in power. Number one, be willing to be changed by the teaching of the apostles. It's not just some wild ideas to think about. It's something that is changing. It has power. It changes people. Verse 21, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? 
Paul's warning that he can either come in gentleness or he will have to discipline them. Come with a rod. I'll give you, as it were, a spanking. The difference will depend on whether and how fast they are willing to be changed by the word of God spoken through Christ's apostle. If they heed him now before he comes, they're changed by the word, then he will not need to discipline him when he discipline them when he gets there. He can come in love and gentleness. That's not to say that discipline is unloving. If they will not be changed, he will be forced to enact disciplinary measures against them when he comes. Now notice it's not with a sword, but with a rod. So he's not there to destroy them. It's not abject punishment for sin, but the loving correction that God gives to his children. And that brings us to number two, because the kingdom of God is in is not in word only, but in power. Submit to church discipline if it is brought to bear on you. If Paul has come with a rod, it will be with the aim, if he has to come with a rod, it will be with the aim of gaining his brothers. We think of the the pattern for church discipline set forth by Jesus in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear even the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now as we see the teaching about authority in the church fleshed out in the New Testament, we see that telling a matter to the church doesn't mean that we gossip or make an announcement necessarily before the whole assembly, but it's something that should be brought to the church through the elders who have that ruling authority. Christ has given authority to the church to choose their elders, and their elders then wield the church's authority. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, Paul will instruct, as we'll see in the coming weeks, he'll instruct the church in regard to a particular discipline case, an unrepentant brother. He'll say, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll dig more deeply into that uh, next week, Lord willing. But for now, just note that to be delivered to Satan is another way of saying to be cast out of the fellowship of the church. Excommunication, as it's often called. Uh, the same as Jesus saying, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. He's out, treat him as if he's outside of the covenant. But notice the aim is repentance and deliverance, that he be delivered in the day of Jesus Christ. It's the, the point is the deliverance of the one being disciplined. It's not merely to get rid of a difficult or embarrassing person. If necessary, we treat a sinning brother as if he was unsaved so that he might be convinced of his error, repent, and be restored. Church discipline, when done biblically, has your best interest in mind. 
and usually doesn't have to get that far. This is the point where someone is actually cast out of the fellowship or prior to that even barred from the Lord's table. So when church discipline is brought to bear, if it needs to be, heed it, submit to it. This also is why it's important to have a connectional church. If you believe your elders are in error in their judgment when bringing church discipline to bear on you, you you can bring that matter before the broader courts of the church where there are other elders to whom your elders are also accountable and they can help to settle the matter. They can hear your appeal. But be ready to submit to the discipline of the church, and your elders need to be ready to submit if they find their if it's found that their judgment is in error. Number three, because the kingdom of God is not in mere words but in power, heed the instruction of faithful teachers of the word. So it's not Paul giving us an excuse here to say, well, we don't need to heed the word then if the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. No, it's it's not in mere word in this context. Paul says in verse 15, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. We'll get to Paul's point about being like a father to them here shortly, but you'll notice that he does speak of many instructors for them. He uses hyperbole for effect, to make his point about being their only father, uh, even if they have 10,000 instructors, uh, he's their only founder of their church, their only father, in the sense that he's the one who first preached the gospel to them. The implication, though, here is that there are, and have been, and should be, many instructors in the church. The word is the word from which we get pedagogue and pedagogy. If you know that the, the terms that refer to instructing children word for teachers. As such, teachers faithfully preaching God's word are to be heeded. So as any any teacher faithfully preaches God's word, heed them. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Hebrews 13.7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Now as important as that is, that we heed good instructors in the church, and God has given us many. Though we have to be discerning, because there have also been many wolves in sheep's clothing over the centuries. But as important as that is, Paul says that while they have had many instructors and may have many more, even if it's 10,000 instructors, they only have one servant of Christ who is like a father to their congregation. So number four, because the kingdom of God is not in mere word, but in power, imitate the apostles. Paul uses the metaphor of fatherhood here in verses 14 through 16. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Paul is not claiming to be in the place of God or anything like that, as he says to imitate him, but he's pointing out 
that Christ used him particularly to found the church in Corinth. He's like a father to their congregation in that sense. He's the one who preached the gospel to them. They had new birth because of God using him. Just like God uses your earthly parents to bring you into the world. He thinks of them as his beloved children. So as children learn by imitating their parents, Paul urges the Corinthian Christians to imitate him. You know, we have little girls now. We're very blessed to have these little ones now for almost two years. And they're in a stage where they just learn new things every day. I know those of you who've raised children know this. It's shocking sometimes how much they learn and how quickly. And they learn a lot of what they learn, especially at an early age, by imitating their parents. They repeat our words. They see our actions and they, they do them. It's a natural and necessary part of childhood development that children imitate their parents. Which tells us also about the great responsibility that parents have, isn't it? That we, that we do things that are worthy of being imitated. You know, if we clean the house, they pretend to clean. They've got their own little dusters they like to go around and dust with. They hold a book while we read the Bible or sing psalms during family worship. They fold their little hands to pray. As children imitate their parents, Paul says, imitate me. I'm like a father to you, so be like children and imitate me. Look at me as someone to look up to. Now we can extrapolate from that that we should imitate the apostles. You and I do not have a congregation that was particularly organized by an apostle. But we can trace the history of the church back to all the churches that were first organized by the apostles. These were men whom Christ used to establish his church in the New Covenant era, and so they are like fathers to the church. They set great examples of godliness and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. We just read earlier the verses that preceded this passage where Paul talked about all the things that the apostles gave up, all the things that they had endured for the sake of the gospel. Those are things to be imitated. So we can imitate the apostles. But along with that, number five, we find because the kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power, imitate the godly in general. We don't actually have the apostles with us. We can read about them, but we can't say, oh, if, if you travel to Jerusalem, you can meet Peter, and there Peter will show you how apostles behave. No, we don't have them with us. We can't directly see their examples. But they set the example for godly men and women who set an example to another generation, who set an example to another generation, and so on, right down to our time. We see godly men and women who are in God's word, who are changed by God's word, and we can imitate them. Paul sent Timothy to Corinth for that very reason, he says. Verse 17, for this reason... I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. So, like you, he's a child of mine in the Lord in that sense. Who will remind you of my ways in Christ, 
as I teach everyone in every church. So he's not only, Timothy is not only like a child, like a son to Paul, but he's a faithful son. He's someone who imitates Paul faithfully. Timothy's a beloved and faithful son in the Lord to Paul. He does the kinds of things Paul does. He followed in his footsteps. He could come to Corinth and remind the Corinthians of Paul's ways in Christ. The things that he does everywhere in every church. And of the things that he teaches in every church. So Timothy could be an example to them as well. If they imitate Timothy, they'll be imitating Paul, who's actually giving us an example of how to imitate Christ. And so they would be growing in godliness. So imitate the godly. So just to recap, the kingdom of God is not in mere words, it is in power. God backs up the true and faithful preaching of his word. He uses it to change people, to change hearts, to change lives. And because it is not empty words but powerful, it will have an effect in the world. Therefore, be willing to be changed by the teaching of the apostles as we find it in Scripture, as it's being proclaimed from pulpits of faithful churches. Submit to church discipline if you're under it, that that you might be conformed more to the image of Christ. That's the aim of church discipline, not to make life hard for somebody, but to make it hard to be an open sinner, to channel us, to direct us toward Christ. Otherwise, our testimony is but empty words. Heed the instruction of faithful teachers of God's word. Look to the apostles as we read of them in Scripture and imitate them. And then in general, imitate the godly. Thereby, you will show that there is power of the kingdom of God. You will show that power in your life. Let's pray. Lord, display your power, the power of your kingdom in your word, that our testimony might not be empty words, but that it might change us that your word would be correcting us. We pray that your spirit would cause us to imitate your servants, even as they imitate Christ, that we might be, through their example, more and more conformed to the perfect image of our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.